a quote or two. Uh, Rebecca Solnit, expect the unexpected, and remember that sometimes you have to be the unexpected. Uh, Tom Waits, there's no devil. There's just God when he's drunk. And Charles Olson, I've had to learn the simple things last, which made for difficulties. So keep learning. Don't be difficult. World will get better every day. I <laughs> Community Radio. We are in our fall drive exploring the sounds of democracy. Here at KBU, we believe that, much like democracy, community radio is an ever evolving experiment. And as the needs of our communities grow and change, we remain true to our mission of uplifting underrepresented voices, playing local musicians, and keeping you updated with local news and current events. Show your support by donating right now at kboo.fm slash give. Text KBOO to 44321 or click donate in the KBOO mobile app. This is KBOO Portland, community radio for the Pacific Northwest. Right now, it's the bedtime radio show for grown-ups, Gremlin Time. Good evening. This is Fortunato. Welcome to Gremlin Time. Tonight, we're going to uh, present a couple of stories that uh, are connected with uh, Alfred Hitchcock, who, besides being a uh, movie director, also uh, had a hand in publishing uh, nice anthologies of crime stories and mystery stories, and then hosted his own uh, uh, hour-long anthology series on television from the mid-1950s into the 1960s. And not to forget the uh, long-running uh, Mystery and Crime magazine, which uh, bears his name, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, something like that. I believe it's still coming out, or at least maybe online. But his stuff was appearing on radio, even in the 40s and early 1950s. Uh, Lux Radio Theater did a couple of his uh, uh, movies as uh, radio plays. And then uh, there were other uh, series that were just half an hour. And uh, our first story this evening comes from the Screen Guilds Players or something like that. Uh, it was sponsored by uh, some tobacco uh, product. And this is Shadow of a Doubt. Now, this is based on the 1942 film that starred Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright. And uh, Joseph Cotton appears in this production. So, uh, and then coming up, we've got another drama, which was actually directed by Hitchcock, but that's coming up later. Right now, let's listen to Joseph Cotton in Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. The Merry Widow Wald. I guess you all know the Merry Widow Wald, but have you ever heard it played in church? Strange, isn't it? But then everything about this story is so strange. Right from the beginning. I suppose the beginning was that day at home. You see, we live in Santa Rosa, a little town in Upper California. A very little town. And nothing ever seems to happen. And, well, I guess that afternoon it had me down a bit. Now, Charlie, that's no way to talk. What's the matter, Charlie? Don't you feel well? I'm perfectly well, Mother, but I've just been thinking, that's all. I've come to the conclusion that I give up. I simply give up. Give up what? Dad, have you ever stopped to think that this family's just gone to pieces? We have? Of course we have. 
We just sort of go along, but we don't get anywhere. Oh, I don't know, Charlie. The bank gave your father a raise last month. The second raise in five years. Money. How can you talk about money when I'm talking about souls? What we need is someone to take us out of this rut. Have you any suggestions? Well, I was thinking that... Mother, I'm going to wire Uncle Charlie. Oh, darling, you're not going to ask for money. Well, of course not. Money wouldn't help. I'm going to invite him to a visit. Now, Charlie, you can't ask a busy man like that to come all the way from the east, even if you can reach him. You know he moves around so much. I'll reach him, all right, and he'll come for me. I'm named after him, and we're the only relatives he has. And besides, you know what? I, I can't <coughs> explain it exactly. It's, it's just a feeling. I mean, well, I, I think he wants to come. <laughs> Postal Union, will you take a telegram, please, to Mrs. Joseph Newton, Santa Rosa, California. Here's the message. Surprise, coming out to visit. Stop. Arrive Thursday and try and stop me. Love to all. And a kiss from Charlie, from her Uncle Charlie. Right. That's right, that's the signature. Uncle Charlie. How much? Yes, I've got the exact change right here. they handed me when I went into the telegraph office to send my wire to him. It was almost as though he'd heard me calling 2,000 miles away. And then, then almost before we knew it, he'd arrived. Tall and slim and such a boyish smile. No wonder Mother was so crazy about her brother, even seeing him so seldom. At dinner that night, he was completely charming and generous, too, with all the lovely presents he brought. A little something to you, Joe. I hope you like it. Well, say, I never had a wristwatch, Charles. Well, you've got one now. Here, Emmy. This is for you. Oh, perfume. Oh, Charles, how nice. And taboo is my favorite. Mother, it's just wonderful. And I expect to be paid for it, too. Huh? Paid for it. Oh, Joe, he means that banana cream pie. Oh. <laughs> I'll go and bring it in. Well, wait, Emmy, wait. I'll give you a hand. Gave him quite a start, didn't I? No, Uncle Charles. You've made us all very happy. Not yet, not all of you. Here's your present, Charles. Oh, I didn't mean that. I don't want a present. Please don't give me anything. Nothing? Why not? Well, I... I, I can't explain it, but... It, it would spoil things if you gave me anything. You're a strange girl, Charlie. Why would it spoil things? Because... Because we're not just an uncle and a niece. It's something else. I know things about you. You do? Yes, I know that you don't tell people a lot of things. I don't either. And I have a feeling that inside of you somewhere there's something nobody knows about. Something nobody knows? Something secret and wonderful. I'll find it out. <laughs> it isn't good to find out too much, Charlie. Now, open your hand. There you are. Thank you. You haven't even looked at it. I don't have to look. No matter what you gave me, be the same. <laughs> yeah, let me show you. It's a ring. An emerald ring, uh, a real one. Oh, it's beautiful. And you have something engraved on it. That's different. I haven't, but I will if you like. Well, yes, you have, Uncle Charlie. It's very faint. See it on the inside? T.S. from B.M. Why, it's, it's someone's initial. Can you imagine? That jeweler rooked me. He told me it was new. I... I... I'll take it back, Charlie. Give it to me. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. I like it this Charlie, way. you don't want to go around with a... Here it is, Charles. Here it is. Your favorite dessert, if I remember. <laughs> you see, Uncle Charlie? I was meant to keep it. Yes, I suppose you were. You see, now it's something special between you and me. I'll never give it away to anyone. Don't you go inside and rest. I need a little exercise, Emmy. Work off that meal. Oh, you're not used to helping with the dishes. Nonsense. Where do I put these dry glasses? Uh, dust them on the cupboard. We'll be done in a jiffy. Charlie, be careful. That's a good set, you know. Maybe you better not sing. I can't get that tune out of my head. Maybe somebody told me what it is. The waltz? Yes, yes, but which one? Oh, your father would know. Too bad he had to go to that meeting the funniest thing. Sometimes I get a tune in my head like that, and pretty soon I hear somebody else humming it, too. 
I think tunes jump from head to head. Uncle Charlie, do you know what it is? Why, uh... No. Oh, no, I don't. I know, it's a world. And it's... It's Victor Herbert. Yes, uh... The, uh... Blue Danube Waltz. No, wait! I know! It's the... The Merry Widow! I'm sorry. One of the good ones, too. Oh, nonsense, Charles. We have plenty of glass. Mother, should we chase him out before he smashes the rest? That's a good idea. Charles, you march right into the parlor and sit yourself down. All alone? But that'll be fun. No, it won't. Huh? <laughs> I mean, not if you read our evening paper. It's awful. Come in. I brought you some water, Uncle Charlie. Oh. In, in case you get thirsty during the night. Thank you, Charlie. Very thoughtful. Oh, I see you've got the evening paper, too. Uh, ain't reading bed? No, no, I'm going to leave it in Dad's room. He'll want to look through it when he gets home. Hardly worth it, I'd say. Well, pleasant dreams. Uncle Charlie. Mm. Uncle Charlie, I know a secret about you you don't think I know. What secret? Remember I said you couldn't hide anything from me because I'd find it out? Oh. Well, I know there was something in the evening paper about you. About me? In the evening mm-hmm, paper? Mm-hmm. You read the paper and page three is gone. It was something about you, wasn't it? And you didn't want us to see it. But but now that I know, you might as well tell me. <laughs> I I guess you've got me, Charlie. Well, it wasn't about me. It was uh, someone I used to know. Well, why don't you tell me? You've got that page right there in your pocket. I can see it sticking out. I think I'll just take it. And... Hey, you stay out of my pocket. Oh, it's Uncle... none of your business. Uncle Charlie, you're, you're hurting my wrist. Oh. oh, Charlie. I... Charlie, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I was just fooling. That that story wasn't anything. Just just some gossip. Not very pretty either. Oh. Not for you to read. Uh, forget it, will you? Oh, oh, of course, if you say so. That's the girl. Good night, young Charlie. Pleasant dreams. forget about that paper. Anyway, for a while. You see, the very next day, those survey men phoned, and they said we'd been picked as a typical family, and could they ask questions and take pictures and everything. Well, you can imagine we were pretty excited. All except Uncle Charlie. He seemed more annoyed, and he went to his room, and he shut the door, and he wouldn't come out. And then when the survey man came over, I had to answer all the questions. You see, Mother was straightening up the kitchen for the pictures, so I showed them both around the house. The upstairs, too. Mighty pleasant little home, Miss Newton. <laughs> I've been hoping we could do it over, Mr. Graham. <laughs> that's typical, too. Uh, whose room is that? Well, that's mine. But, but my uncle is using it now. Uh, Miss Newton, could I get a picture? You know, typical girl, typical room. Well, my uncle's resting, Mr. Saunders. I really don't want to disturb him. Oh, naturally. Say, is there a back stairs? Oh, yes, right down the hall. Then I'll bet you 50 cents your uncle is out. You're just trying to get Mr. Saunders in there to take a picture. Isn't he, Mr. Saunders? <laughs> That's right. Besides, I know my uncle's in there. I'm still betting he isn't. Want to take me up? All right. Uncle Charlie? Uncle Charlie, may I come in? You see? Why, you were right. He's gone. Funny you should do a thing like that. Maybe you don't know him as well as you think you do. Well, of course I do. I know him very well. I... Are you trying to tell me I shouldn't think he's so wonderful? Well, not exactly. Someone's coming up the back porch, Jack. Huh? I always say the more the merrier. Miss Newton, is it your uncle? Well, yes, it is. Oh, Uncle Charlie. Guess I get a picture of the hall. Right? What are you trying to do with that flashlight? Blind me? Uncle Charlie, he was taking pictures in my room. I'm not in your room, and I don't like to be photographed. Well, I'll have to ask you for the film, sir. I must insist. Give it to me, please. Okay, Fred. Give him the film. Thank you. Good afternoon. Well, that's that, I guess. Let's go. He was so strange. I don't understand. I think I could help you out on that. You could? Sure. Suppose you have dinner with me tonight, then we can sit in the park and have a nice, long talk. Pretending, and so I thought I'd better tell you. This job of mine isn't always easy, Charlie. Then, then you're really a detective. 
Charlie, listen. You're not on a survey at all. You lied to us. You just wanted to get into our house. Listen, Charlie, you've got to trust me. Then you've done nothing but lie. Well, you probably didn't even want to take me out tonight. But I did. Honestly, I did. You don't know what it's meant to me to take you out, talk with you, get to know you. Just part of your job. Don't be silly. When I came to this town to find a man, I hadn't counted on you. I hadn't counted on your mother or your family. Find a man? What man? We're not even sure if he's the right one. We won't know till they check that picture we wired east. The one we took of your uncle. But what did you give that one back? No. We just gave him an empty roll of film. Another trick. Now, Charlie, please. My uncle hasn't done anything. He knows it would kill my mother if he did. Why don't you go away and leave me alone? Because you're a nice girl, Charlie. Because no matter what, you're going to help me do my job. Charlie, now think. How much do you know about your uncle? I know all I want to know. He's good and kind and generous. He, he came here and made us all so happy. He hasn't done anything to... To what? To what, Charlie? Nothing. You wouldn't understand. It's something I've got to figure out for myself. Why, Charlie, reading a newspaper in a public library, don't you get it at home? Oh, oh yes, Miss Conklin, but there, there was something uh, a couple of days ago. I wanted to copy it and threw it away. Uh, um, uh, a recipe. Oh, well, I hope you find it. And uh, will you please put the paper back when you're through? I found it all right. It, it can't be anything really awful. Oh, not enough of it. Murder assault. Police are conducting a coast-to-coast search for the man who strangled Thelma Shenley, former musical comedy star. Wanted for the death of two other wealthy widows. The fugitives is known Mary, we don't murder her. I don't know how long I sat there in the library staring at the paper and not seeing a thing. But suddenly I realized that I was chilled. As if someone had drawn a blind across the sun. I tried to tell myself it wasn't true. But there was the ring. The ring he'd given me. The emerald with the faint initials on the band. Her initials. Thelma Shelley. The woman my uncle. For hours that afternoon, trying to decide what I should do. And after dinner, I walked some more. I was just at the park when I heard him call. Well, Charlie. I hurried on, but he overtook me. I remember I was very well, Charlie, Charlie, slow down, will you? I want to talk to you. Come on, let's put on the bed. No. I said sit down. You're hurting my wrist again. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlie. I guess I got excited. Can't blame me, really. Not when I see something coming between us two. Tell me, was it something those survey men told you, that telegram? He's got nothing to do with it. I, I hope he never knows anything uh, about Charlie, you. Charlie, there's no way to talk. After all, I've been around a bit. I've been chasing around the globe since I was 16. I've done some pretty foolish things, too. Made some pretty foolish mistakes. Nothing serious. Just just foolish. I mean, like... What's the matter? What are you staring at? Your, your hands. Oh, Charlie, now don't start imagining... How could you do a thing like that? You're my uncle. My mother's brother. We thought you were the most wonderful man in the world. What do you know? I know I said I'd never give this ring up, but I can't wear it now. Not with her initial in it. Here, take it. You think you know something, don't you? You think you're the clever little girl who knows something. What do you know about women like that? Have you ever seen them like I have? Every day in the best hotels, every day by the thousands, drinking their money, eating their money, losing their money at bridge, playing all day and night, smelling of money and proud of it. Horrible. Faded, fat, greedy but, women. But they're alive. They're human beings. Are they, Charlie? Are they human or are they fat, wheezing animals? Hmm? What happens to animals when they get too fat and too old? What happens... Stop to... it, please! See, you don't understand. All I want is a little help. From me? Oh. I'm so tired, Charlie. There's... There's an end to the running a man can do. This is my last chance. You've got to help me. I count on you, Charlie. You said yourself there was something special between us, and think of your mother. You kill your mother. Charlie, give me this last chance. All right. All right, if you go away. Where to, Charlie? Where should I go? Where do you want me to go? I don't care anywhere, just so you go away from here. <laughs>
haven't got a thing in the house for lunch. And I couldn't go to the market myself, not with a cake in the oven. Sally, I've never known you to stay in bed so late. I, uh, I'm sorry, Mother. I, I didn't sleep very well. Your Uncle Charlie's been asking for you. He's on the front porch. Here's a list of the grocery deals. I'll, I'll run along, then. <laughs> the dock stairs again? Charlie, why do you always go that way? Those stairs are so steep. Don't you want to tell your uncle good morning? I'll uh, see him when I get back. It's shorter this way. Yeah. Watch yourself here. No, don't worry. I know these stairs. <laughs> what happened? I, I, I tripped. I, I think a step was loose. Oh, heavens, Charlie. You might have been killed. Yes, I, I might have. But I wasn't. Yes? Oh, good evening. Come in, Charlie. I wanted you to know I almost had an accident this morning. Yes, your mother told me. I was very worried. When are you leaving, Uncle Charlie? Leaving? My dear girl, do you know what I did today? I went down and put a little money in the bank. The bank where your father works. $40,000 in cash. Of course, there isn't quite 40000 left there. Now I gave 1000 to the children's hospital and another 1000 to the community chest. Made your father quite important. When are you leaving? You know, I've been thinking, Charlie. I want to settle down, live in a place where people know me, have some money in the bank, some sort of business. Be a part of this family. I see. The possible thing is to be friends with me. I can do a lot for you, Charlie. I can do a lot for all of you. Not you. You don't want anything from you. If you don't leave, I'll tell what I know. Don't be silly, Charlie. Who would believe you? A wall's running through your head. You don't like the initials on the ring, and you connect it all up with a newspaper clipping, and now you haven't even got the ring. You haven't. I, ridiculous. I gave it to you. You see. Uncle Charlie, I don't want you here. I don't want you to touch my mother, so go away. I'm warning you. Go away, or I'll kill you myself. Do you know what it means to live in terror? I did. I knew he would stop at anything. At any moment, there might be another accident, and he'd be very sorry. And I'd be dead. My only weapon was the ring. If I could find the ring, I thought I'd frighten Uncle Charlie into leaving town. That was the next night that I got my chance. Mother had invited all our leading citizens to meet her brother. And while they were downstairs drinking Uncle Charlie's champagne, I was upstairs going through his things. It was rather late when I came down. Can't I persuade you, Reverend <laughs> Phillips, just that drop? No, thanks. You know what the psalmist said, wine maketh glad the heart of man. Your gift to the church has given us cause enough to rejoice. And besides, I'm afraid my parishioners aren't overly familiar with the psalm. Well, I always... Oh, thank you, Charlie. What kept you so long? I was looking for my ring, Uncle Charlie. <laughs> Silly me, I thought I'd lost it. Oh, what an exquisite ring. It's an emerald, Mrs. Carter. A real emerald. Uncle Charlie gave it to me for a going away present. What's that? Going away? Why, Charles. Isn't that what you said, Uncle Charlie? Didn't you tell me you were going away? Yes. Yes, I did. But, Charles, I didn't read. I'm sorry, Emmy. I didn't expect it to happen so soon, but I got an important <laughs> message, you see. A very important message, I... I'm afraid I'll have to leave in the morning. Charles, I wish you didn't have to go. That's where it is, Emmy. You can't always do the things you like. Well, they're going to stop. We'd better get off, Emmy. Charlie? Well, goodbye, Charles. You're right, won't you? Of course. Watch yourself on those steps. Goodbye, Charles. Goodbye. Oh, oh, Charlie, yeah, you wait a minute. I want to talk to you. We'll be starting in a moment. We can stand right here on the platform. I want you to know that I think you were right to make me leave. Best for your mother and best for all of us. Oh, we're moving. Oh, no, she's not very strong, you know. I, I don't think she could stand the shock. I remember once when she was a little girl. But the train's moving. I've got to get off. Let go. You're hurting my wrist. Go on. Let me go. Let me go. Charlie, you know Let me go. No, no, not yet, Charlie. Not we're going a little faster. Not till we meet the train that's coming down the other track. No mistakes this time. Each little detail in its place. I've checked it all, you see. There it is now. It's coming fast, Charlie. Almost time to say goodbye. Almost time to...
having the funeral now. The biggest funeral Santa Rosa's ever seen. They were all so shocked when I told them how it happened. How Uncle Charles slipped and fell beneath the train. They're playing the Merry Widow Walk. I told them that's what Uncle Charlie would have wanted. I don't think I'll ever forget him. And they won't either. They'll always remember the time they heard the Merry Widow Walk in church. Shadow of a Doubt was directed by Bill Lawrence, adapted for radio by Harry Cronman, with music by Wilbur Hatch. And that was the Screen Guild Theater's presentation of Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt with uh, Joseph Cotton reprising his role as Uncle Charlie from the movie. And uh, we had Vanessa Brown stepping in as uh, young Charlie. This was um, uh, recorded back in like the late 40s before magnetic tape came in. So it was a direct to vinyl transcription so there's a lot of like it sounded like there was some uh, bacon frying in the uh, on the turntable right there so uh, that was our uh, presentation of shadow of a doubt here on gremlin time which comes to you on community radio kboo portland you know this is our fall membership drive when we ask listeners to uh, become members of uh, community radio and you do that by uh, going to kboo.fm slash give and you follow through the directions and you can support this type of radio by becoming a member of uh, listener supported uh, kboo so you do it right now a lot of people wait for these uh, membership drives that we have and then they could all jump in and uh, either renew their membership or increase this uh, the donation that they're giving or become a new member there's many people who listen who are not uh, members of kboo and this is your time to uh, become a member back what you believe in go to kboo.fm give and uh, help keep community radio on the air it's time now for our second presentation. Now, CBS had a long-running series called Suspense, and its very first you know, pilot episode, as an example to see how this could be a show that features you know, this type of story, this sort of intense, suspenseful story, and Alfred Hitchcock was asked to uh, direct this uh, first episode, uh, this pilot episode of Suspense, and he, uh, we have Herbert Marshall and Edwin Gwynn. Edwin Gwynn was Santa Claus in the movie Miracle on what, 34th Street, the one with young Natalie Wood in it. And Edwin was also in um, Them, the, the one about the giant ants that infest the sewers under Los Angeles. Well, that, he was in that movie as well. So he was also a favorite of Alfred Hitchcock's. And he appeared in, uh, I think, The Trouble with Harry, as well as in uh, Foreign Correspondent. And so he, are, Herbert Marshall, also appeared in Foreign Correspondent. And they are united in this uh, presentation of uh, the story that was sort of Hitchcock's very first hit back in the late 1920s with a movie called The Lodger. And uh, here is this first uh, episode of Suspense featuring The Lodger, starring Herbert Marshall, Evan Gwynn, and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The Lodger is a work of fiction which springs from recorded fact. A story which begins in the year 1888 in London. A London terrorized by the fifth in a succession of recent murders. It was believed that these deeds were the work of one person, a tall, gaunt figure in a black Inverness cape, carrying a small, narrow bag. That meager description, provided by a highly unnerved witness, was the sum total of all that was known of the murderer. It was enough, however, to keep alive and alert the interest of all London, of all those in fine quarters, and all those in small, grimy houses, as, for example, Ellen Bunting. Ellen was no different from all the other middle-aged housewives dwelling in the great city's squalid Whitechapel district. She knew all the known facts of the case. 
As Herbert Marshall will tell you, Ellen knew it was quite proper to refer to this wielder of the knife as the Avenger. Of course, Ellen Bunting was far more concerned with her personal problems than with thoughts of the Avenger. Yet the case of that strange, elusive killer quite often forced all other matters from her mind. There was that mad, meaningless scheme he seemed to follow. All his victims, for example, have been women. All have been young, attractive, and, oddly enough, blonde. But Ellen could no more understand the motive for his brutal slashings than could the police. This night, she and her husband, Robert Bunting, sat before their fireplace reading the newspaper account of the latest murder. The Avenger had struck again. As Ellen expressed it, he might be anybody. He might be the fellow you pass on the street. It's a terrible thought. Yes. If only the police had something to go on. It looks like that Avenger's just too quick for him. Look, it says here that this girl he got last night was like all the others. Hmm. Pretty, blonde, and, uh, let's see, described by her friends as a very light-hearted girl. What a pity. Did you ever stop to think who fits that to a T? In fact, fits all those girls? Why? Well, my own Daisy. Oh, that's a horrible thought. Well, maybe it's a good thing she's with her aunt, then, instead of here. Hmm. London ain't a safe place for any girl right now. Ah, just the same. I can't help thinking how fine it'll be to have her back in. Now, Bunting, you know that Daisy seems just as much my own daughter as she is yours. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, there's no sense even thinking about having her back right now. We just can't afford it. Oh, I know that, Ellen. Only, well, well, maybe we could manage it some way. How? Haven't I scrimped myself half crazy trying to keep us going? But you don't care about that, do you? No, your daisy's more important to you than I am. No, 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 Ellen, Ellen, that don't sound like you. Oh, I you, can't but... help if it don't. What are we going to do? Tell me that. We'll get along, dear. Something will turn up. Oh, we'll... we haven't had a lodger for months. Nobody even comes to look at the room anymore. Yes, but things will work out, Ellen. Oh, they the... ain't never going to work out. Soon we won't even have a roof over our heads and... Oh? Oh, oh I'm sorry, Robbie. I... I didn't mean to take on oh, so... Oh, I know, dear, I know. It's all right. Oh, I, I didn't think it... It's just that I, I've been so worried. Well, don't you go worrying another second, old girl. Why, first thing you know, you won't be pretty anymore. You'll have your face all wrinkled. Now, and you'll... see now, here, come on, now, let's see a smile. Come on, just have one oh, smile. Oh, leave me alone. Just one I smile like you used to, eh? Talking, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you suppose that could be? Oh, for late for visitors, I... Bunting, do you think it could be somebody looking for rooms? Well, it might be. You want me to go to the door? No, I'll go. Oh. You just stay here. Yes, all right. Now, be sure you get a good look at Louise before you let him in, dear. Oh, I'm coming. Oh, I do hope it's... <clears throat> yes, sir? Is it not true that you let lodgings? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, won't you come in, sir? Thank you. Uh, could I... Uh, could I take your keep, sir? There's no need. Now, I... Uh... I'm looking for a quiet room. It must be quiet. Oh, we have that, sir. Above all, our, our house is quiet. Uh, your bags are. May I take it? No, I'll hold it. You'll be so good as to show me the room, please. Oh, yes, yes, sir. It's right up these stairs, sir. Uh, this way. Thank you. Uh, you see, sir, uh, there's just my husband and me here, and we're ever so quiet, and, and I'm sure you'll find this room to your liking, sir. Here we are. Now, I'll, I'll just light the gas. There. Mm-hmm. Very good. It is pleasant, isn't it, sir? And, and there's not many rooms with such pretty pictures. Are there now? We've had them in the family for years, sir, and... Pictures interest me very little. You see, what really impresses me about the room is the very simplicity of it, the, um, the bareness. Uh, yes, sir. It's not at all crowded, is it? It will be quite suitable, Mrs., um... Uh, Bunting, Mrs. Sir. Bunting. You see, I do a great deal of studying in my book here. The Holy Bible. Uh, yes, sir. Um, please, sir, uh, let me help with your luggage. No, don't I... touch it. Oh, but I, I only wish to... Oh, you only wish to help, of course. You must forgive me, Mrs. Uh, Bunting. It's just that I... I'm so very weary. Of course, sir. He bringeth them to their desired haven. Beautiful words, Mrs. Bunting. Indeed they are, sir. And now at last I have found my haven of rest. Yes, sir. Then, then you'll be taking the room. Let us see now. Uh, what are you going to charge me? With attendance, mind. I shall be staying in most of the time and I shall be wanting meals. Oh, we can see to that, then sir. Then does, um, 
30 shillings a week suit you? 30? Why, why, yes, sir. Yes, sir, that will be quite all right. Good, and I shall pay you in advance. My name is Sleuth, Mrs. Bunting. Mr. Sleuth? S-L-E-U-T-H. Think of a hound, Mrs. Bunting, and you'll never forget my name. 23 and 4, 30, 30 shillings. Thank you, sir. And I think I should enjoy a little light supper now, Mrs. Bunting. Bread and butter, perhaps. Could you arrange that? Oh, certainly, sir. I- I'll do that now. And uh, if you'd be requiring any beer or spirits... Certainly or... not. Oh, sir. What What did I say? I thought you understood me, Mrs. Bunting, and I had hoped that you and your husband were abstainers. But we are, sir. We don't keep nothing about. I would have had to go out and... Of course, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Bunting. I fear I spoke sharply. I don't wish you to think me rude. After all, you... You've been so kind... Consider it. I hope I know a gentleman when I see one. Thank you, thank you very much. Now I'll just hurry with your supper. Ellen, Ellen, did he take the room? Don't, don't bother me now. I have to get him some supper. What did you mean? Come to the kitchen where he won't hear us. He took it, Ellen. Yes, he took the room. Yes, we're all right now. Look, thirty shillings. <gasps> A week in advance. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. And Ellen, do you see what this means? Yes, you can have Daisy now. Yes. Uh, here, Bunting, warm that teapot and put some tea leaves in right it. Right-o, right-o. Yeah, do you know something, old girl? We're not going to worry too much about Daisy being in danger of that Avenger fella. Whatever do you mean, Robbie? Well, she's not a girl who takes a drink, you know. Um, what's that to do with it, please? Oh, something I read in the paper while he was upstairs with the gentleman. They just found out that every one of the Avenger's victims had been drinking. They figured he must be some kind of a rabid abstainer. What a peculiar chap. Now hurry, Bunting, please. Yeah. Two thoughts, two thoughts only, governed Ellen's mind. The lodger's light supper and her own good fortune at having such a lodger. Mr. Sleuth was an eccentric sort, but then he was such a gentleman, so quiet, so very religiously inclined. She started up a staircase to Mr. Sleuth's room, her husband at her side. He won't know how to be safe, though, once Blaze is back in London, eh? We'll see she stays closer than the earth, hmm? Well, I'll be downstairs. Hurry up with his supper, old girl. She has cast down many wounded from her. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Come in. And to know the wickedness of folly. Why, Mr. S- yes? What is it? Those pictures. Those pretty girls. You've turned all their faces to the wall. <laughs> And that maneuver, that strange action, was the beginning of Ellen's concern. Soon there came to her a recollection of the black Inverness cape, the small narrow bag, the urgent matter of alcoholic drink. And these details began to shape themselves into a pattern which grew more disturbing with each passing hour. The day following, the lodger did not leave the upstairs room once, nor did he leave the next day. And the oddness of this took its place in the pattern. Then, too, the approaching arrival of Daisy, her stepdaughter, added to her concern. On the second night, her sleep was restless with vague, horrifying images. And so when she heard the first stealthy footsteps outside her bedroom, she was instantly awake. Tensely, she followed those steps down the stairs, down the hallway. She heard the front door open and then click shut. Utter stillness fell upon the house. And outside the streets were so silent she could hear distinctly the clock from a church tower a mile away told the hour. In her troubled frenzy, she pictured a lone figure plodding through the deep fog, moving quietly, stealthily, stalking, searching, finding. When, soon after she heard the lodger return, she sought to quiet the horrible dread which had possessed her. She assured herself that Daisy's arrival that day was no cause for alarm. Now she reasoned, how could there be anything really evil about so religious a gentleman as Mr. Sleuth? But for her, there was no more sleep, merely a tormented state of half-consciousness, a state which suddenly dropped from her shortly after daybreak. Horrible murder. That was the piercing scream of a newsboy far down the street. The Avenger strikes during night! Ellen Bunting heard the boy cry out the Avenger's latest stroke, made during the night. No. 
Helen's first glimpse that morning of the grey-faced lodger brought the sleepless night's warm terror full to the surface. But on the next instant, she saw the pitiable, helpless weariness in his eyes, and curiously, the terror began to pass. She found that she was hoping desperately that her fears were unfounded. Earlier, she had determined to tell Bunting of the awful convictions in her mind. Now, however, she felt she must be certain, certain before she spoke to a soul. She knew there was one thing she must examine. That was the lodger's single piece of luggage. She'd thought of it often. What could it hold? Not much in the way of clothing, surely. It was too small, too, too narrow. It was more like a case. A case for a knife. It was along toward noon that Edwin found her opportunity to search the lodger's room. Soon after Bunting left to meet Daisy, Mr. Sleuth himself walked from the house. Ellen watched the tall, thin figure in the black Inverness cape disappear down the street, and then she rushed upstairs into the room. Quickly, she moved to the closet. It was no different from what it had always been, utterly empty. She found nothing under the bed. She went then to the chest of drawers against the wall. She opened the top drawer and found inside nothing but a frayed shirt, two handkerchiefs, the next drawer under clothes, socks. The next empty. There remained then only one possible place for the small, narrow bag, the bottom drawer, and it was locked. Tugging at the drawer, she heard suddenly the opening of the front door downstairs. Panic-stricken, she rushed out of the room and down the hall to the head of the stairs. Upstairs, Ellen. Ellen, Daisy's here. Oh, Mother Ellen, it's so good to see you. And oh, whatever's the matter? Yes, you've gone quite white. Oh, well, I, I'm all right. I, I wasn't expecting you so soon. Oh, you don't know how fine it is to be back, Mother Ellen. Oh, the country's all right in its way, but there's nothing like London now, is there? No, no, there isn't. But as long as that adventure's about, I can see we're going to have to do something about these blonde locks, eh, Ellen? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll dye them, maybe, or, or just pin them under my hat. <laughs> Daisy, I, I might as well get you settled. Oh, now, Father, isn't that just like her? She's straight to the point, and no point. Well, I'll bet a sixpence she'll have a dustcloth in your hand before you've got your coat off. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sleuth. Mrs. Bunting, I see my door is open. Oh, we, we were just leaving, so we... Does this mean that all of you have been in my room? Oh, not at all, sir. I... What must I do? Keep it locked? But you see, sir, I was just tidying up a bit, and, and Mr. Bunting, he brought his daughter up, sir. She, she just arrived. This is Daisy, sir. Pleased to meet you, sir. And she, she, she's been away for quite a long while, you see, Mr. Sleuth, and that's, that, that's, that's why we're a bit excited, you might. Yes, you must have been surprised when you came in, hearing us laughing and carrying on that way. Yes. Yes, I must say I was. However, Miss uh, Daisy, there are all types of joy, are there not? Yes, I'm sure there are. The despicable evil joy of the abandoned and the divine happiness of the blessed. A vast difference, that. You do understand me, don't you? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Sleuth. I devoutly hope so, Miss Daisy. Nowadays, there are so very few young women like yourself who do. In fact, I, I all but despaired ever of finding one. If... If you'll excuse us now, sir, we'll, we'll be getting Daisy's things put away. Of course, Mrs. Bunting, and I must get into my room. Believe me, Miss Daisy, it's been a revelation to meet you. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm sure we shall have much to discuss. <laughs> He's a queer one, all right. But such a gentleman, you see. At that moment... Ellen had been determined to pour out her terrible knowledge, and then the moment passed by. She told herself that perhaps the past few days had been nothing more than a grim illusion, a tormenting play of imagination. She would wait then until she had attended the coroner's inquest into the last Avenger murder. There, perhaps, she could hear evidence to disprove all her fears, to assure her there was no earthly harm in Daisy being so near the lodger. This was her gravest concern now, for on the next day, Mr. Sleuth made it a point to see the girl more than once, and fearfully... Ellen saw that Daisy welcomed his visits. As Ellen was preparing to step out to the inquest, she heard once more the voices of her stepdaughter and the lodger coming to her through the kitchen door. 
She hesitated before entering. Tense. Strangely apprehensive. I do believe, Mrs. Lewis, I've never known a gentleman with such funny ideas. Ellen, you should hear what Mr. Sleuth is just saying. Perhaps, Daisy, you would excuse yourself and... <laughs> he thinks people, and especially girls, should spend all their time praying. I sought to explain, Mrs. Bunting, that all women are placed on this earth filled with evil. They therefore must struggle constantly to find the paths of righteousness. Why, Mr. Sleuth, you mean a girl's not to enjoy life at all? Not to have fun? Frivolity, my child, is the devil's breeding ground. And all his implements are there. Temptation, pleasure... Wine. Oh, that's crazy. Well, there's nothing I like better than a glass of wine, and I'm... You drink. She didn't know what she was saying, Mr. Sleuth. Just a child, and Daisy, you'd better go now. But I didn't say nothing wrong. What's the harm in a glass of wine? She lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Oh, I don't know what you mean. I never heard such nonsense. You call Holy Scripture nonsense? So what I prayed against is true. You are beyond salvation. That's not so. I'm a good girl, I am, and I won't have you saying that. Daisy, Daisy, go into the front room. It's quite all right, Mrs. Bunting. I must be going upstairs anyway. I'm used to being misunderstood, you know. People never realize that my efforts are simply for the greater good of humanity. Of course, sir. And that the power on high will direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Daisy. Daisy, listen to me. Yes? I've got to tell you about... about... About what, Mother Ellen? Nothing. I've got to go out for a while now. I'll be back. The moment to reveal the secret horror had come again and passed. Ellen's sudden recollection of Mr. Sleuth as he stood in the doorway had overwhelmed her. She must give him this last chance, this last frantic search for this proving evidence, this trip to the inquest. If that chance should fail, then she would tell Bunting or the police. So with the knowledge that Bunting was left in the house to look after Daisy, she boarded the underground train bound for the coroner's court. But as the train pulled away from the station, a new torture came to her, began to mount in her mind. It was the sudden realization that provided Sleuth was the murderer, she was equally responsible for his crimes. She had been giving him... Protection. Protection, 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 If anything should happen to Daisy, she would be equally guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. Fully as guilty as the Avenger. Avenger, 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 seated at the rear of the small but crowded inquest room, listened to each of the witnesses as they were called. And from one of them, she found the first hope she had known for many days. This witness lived next to the alley in which the Avenger had committed his crime that night. She had seen him from her window, and the man she described in no way resembled Ellen's lodger. But in another moment, Ellen's hope was swept away. It was pointed out that the fog had been so heavy that night that the witness could not possibly have seen the murderer from her window. She left the stand, replaced by a Mr... Cannot. This elderly gentleman was certain that he had not only seen but talked with the Avenger. He was in Regent's Park, he testified, only a few moments before. A few moments before the murder, Mr. Coroner, when I saw him, he was quite a tall man, very gaunt looking, and carrying a handbag. A handbag, you say? Yes, a small, narrow one. Just such a bag, I might add, as might contain a knife. <laughs> As Ellen heard these words, the tension which had been mounting up within her became almost unbearable. Rigid with horror, she gripped the arms of her chair. She heard the coroner. I shall have to ask for more order in the court. And now, Mr. Cannot, I understand you heard this man speak. Oh, yes. He had a rather high, hesitating voice. An educated man, I would judge, but quite mad. What do you mean by that? Well, as he emerged from the fog, he was talking aloud to himself. Believe me, sir... He was reciting scriptures from the Bible. Scriptures from the Bible? 
Horrified, Ellen rose from her seat, only half hearing the confusion about her. Are you asking us to believe? I would say, Mr. Cannot, that the man we're looking for would be least of all a religious man. And that's where you're in error, Mr. Coroner. The religious note is the very key to the case. Very interesting. That'll be all, Mr. Cannot. Uh, just a moment, sir. Don't you understand? The man you're after must be a religious maniac. That's the only explanation possible. You will please stand down. The court was dismissing the very truth. Ellen knew that now. She could no longer keep silent. Her hand shot forth and she screamed. I, I want to say... Ellen Bunting, on the verge of speaking, had fainted. And then, when she was revived a few moments later, she said nothing. Her brain was in too great a turmoil. Her nerves too shocked. Like one in a dream, she allowed herself to be led from the courtroom. The voices of spectators were only vague sounds to her. I thought she was going to say something. Yes, it was hysterics, eh? Yeah, that bit about the knife. Yeah, yeah. The, the knife. The knife. The knife. The knife. As Ellen Bunting proceeded home with the remarks from the spectators remained in her mind, she heard them over and hysterics, over. Eh? Yeah, that bit about the knife. The knife. Just such a bag as my contempt. That knife. We'll see she stays close in in the house, eh? No harm in being safe. Direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Expulsion of all evil. What's the harm in a glass of wine? I didn't say nothing wrong. As Ellen neared her neighborhood, her dread increased. With each moving footstep, the grip of terror grew tighter, tighter about her. She moved faster, faster. If only she were in time. She was two streets away from the house. Then one. Then... Then she saw Bunting. Sharply, like the thrust of a knife, she realized what this meant. Daisy was left alone with the lodger. Bunting! Bunting! Yes, Helen, Oh, Bunting, tell me, Bunting. Where's Daisy? Where is she? I say, where? Why, at home. Oh, listen to me. Try to understand. Sleuth is the Avenger. What are you saying? Oh, lodger, he's the Avenger, Bunting. Oh, but there's no time for that. Daisy's in danger. Hurry! Hurry! Yes. Daisy! Daisy! Kitchen bunting, you try the sitting room. Daisy! Daisy! Where are you, Daisy? Answer me, Daisy! Oh, the bedroom. Jeez, she's not here. What about the dining room? I look, she's not there. She's not downstairs. Then there's just his room. Go on. Open the door. What's the idea, Hitch? I have a few more lines to do. As Mr. Marshall, the narrator, you have. Not as Mr. Sleuth, the but lodger. Hitch, you can't stop the play right here. It isn't fair, you know. Why isn't it, Bart? What more is there to say? But, Mr. Hitchcock, won't people want to know what Bunting and me found in the room? All right, Ellen. What precisely did you find? Well, uh, nothing, sir. There. You see? Nothing. No lodger, no Bible. And that locked dresser drawer. What about that? We unlocked it, sir. And what was in it? Nothing, sir. You are certain, Mrs. Bunting? Oh, 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 you gave me quite a turn, Mr. Slough. I mean, Mr. Marshall. Uh, yes, sir, I'm sure, sir. There was nothing. Well, begging your pardon, Mr. Hitchcock, but don't you think we'd better just mention about Daisy? I don't know, Bunting. What do you think we ought to say? Oh, just that the reason she wasn't in the house when Ellen and me got there was... Well, she'd gone out for a walk, that's all. Did she enjoy it? Oh, very much, sir. Made it to King's Cross and back in just under an hour, sir. Splendid time, Bunting. Well, there you are, Bart. There's the story. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Hitchcock. You can't do that. That's not the story. Of course it's not. Now, look here, Hitch. Here's the fellow who composed and conducted all our music, Wilbur Hatch. He wants to know about this, too. Everybody does. All right, Bart. What is it they want to know? What became of Mr. Sleuth? Oh, him. Why, he left that afternoon. They never saw him again. And now I think we ought to say something about the Columbia forecast Mr. show for... Mr. will you please... Stop him, uh, Mr. Marshall. Hitch, listen to me. Yes? What is it? They want to know when the Avenger finally was caught. Oh, 
Well, let me ask you something, Bart. Are you acquainted with Loretta Young? Yes, what's that got to do with it? Well, in next week's Columbia Preview series, Miss Young will take the starring role in the drama of an American Red Cross nurse. That's good news, isn't it? Oh, that's great. But now listen, Hitch, you've just got to tell that audience exactly when and how Mr. Sleuth was caught. Caught? Why on earth should he be caught? Why? Well, he was the Avenger, wasn't he? Was he? Your guess, gentle listener, is as good as ours. Even Mrs. Bella Glans, who wrote the novel, isn't entirely sure. For his masterful direction, our thanks to Alfred Hitchcock, whose latest pictures are David O. Selznick's Rebecca and Walter Wanger's Foreign Correspondent. For his superb characterization of Mr. Sleuth, our thanks to Herbert Marshall. And our thanks to the outstanding British character actor who tonight portrayed the role of Bunting, Edmund Gwen. If you liked tonight's program and want to hear more in the same highly original Hitchcock vein, radio versions of The Lady Vanishes and The 39 Steps, for example, write to CBS and tell us so. Your interest will help bring suspense to the air as a weekly feature. And that wraps things up, sort of, on The Lodger. This was a pilot episode for a proposed series on CBS that would be called Suspense, which in a couple of years would come on and would play for years. Uh, I don't think Alfred Hitchcock would be involved in any of the uh, stories. They would use some of the same source materials that Hitchcock would use, such as stories by uh, Cornell Woolrich and a few others. This is uh, Fortunato. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening to uh, Gremlin Time. Uh, in the first part of the show, we had a, a Screen Guild Players presentation of Shadow of a Doubt with Joseph Cotton and Vanessa Brown. And that was also from an Alfred Hitchcock movie. So this has been a little mini Hitchcock tribute show today. You know, this is our fall membership drive here at Community Radio KBOO Portland. And we're asking you to uh, become a member of KBOO or renew your uh, membership at uh, kboo.fm slash give. And you just follow through the steps and you can become a member of KBOO or, like I said, you can uh, renew your membership. We only keep on the air with your support. And so go to kboo.fm and uh, become a member right now. This is uh, Fortunato. I'll be back again next month with more of the bedtime radio show for grown-ups, Gremlin Time.
You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound like a broken record, but you are listening to KBOO, Portland, Oregon, 90.7 FM. Listen, sponsored. Now, become a member now. Become a member not only because everything you hear is straight, everything you hear is the late, everything here is great, but we also want you to become a member because we want you to get in there and put your shoulders next to the wall like we're doing. Help pay some of them electric bills, some of our toilet papers, our napkins, our portable plates, portable knives and forks. But better than that, even for the staff, the guys are working hard here at KBOO, Portland, Oregon, 90.7 FM.